Friday afternoon in Jerusalem. It is a fateful day. A day that is destined to change the world. Had you been there, there is no doubt that you would have fallen and been brought under the spell of the excitement of the hour. Because it's, it's an almost carnival-like atmosphere. If it were taking place today, you'd, you'd almost start looking for the trailers with the funnel cakes and the corn dogs and the crawfish on a stick and, and all of those things. Because you see, in this carnival-like atmosphere of Jerusalem that Friday afternoon, three prisoners are about to pay the death penalty for their crimes. One of them is a prophet from Nazareth. The other two are revolutionists. And the people, the crowds, with a natural love for the gruesome, the crowds of people thronging the streets are hideously eager for the show to take place. And it's an eagerness that's heightened all the more because all three of these men were well known. So you see, in the company of two rugged outlaws, Jesus is making His way to a skull-shaped hill called Calvary. Each of these three condemned men is having to carry His own cross. Well, about the time this procession was started toward Calvary from the palace of Herod, there was a certain man, Simon by name, who was setting out from the house of a friend he had been staying with toward Jerusalem. Simon has come all the way from Africa to attend the feast. We're not told, but this perhaps is Simon's very first visit to the city of his father's. Now imagine the enthusiasm in Simon's heart. Imagine the eagerness that wells up inside of him because of the crowds in the city, because all the hotels were full. He had to spend the night in the country with a friend. And now he's making his way back to Jerusalem. He's making his way back to the busy streets of the city to this man from Cyrene, the, the sights of the city are just absolutely thrilling to him. As Simon reaches the city gate, he encounters a group of people headed in the opposite direction. Well, like we chase ambulances and fire trucks, this picks his curiosity. He's a man with a family, but he's still just a big overgrown boy. And he's got a thoroughly normal curiosity. So he asks somebody, he says, hey, why is everybody leaving the city? What's going on? And someone says, we're going to Calvary. We're going to execute three prisoners there. Simon thinks, wow, this is my big chance. I've never been to an execution before. This is my opportunity. And that just picks his curiosity even more. At least he's going to get to see the condemned men that are going to die. 
So Simon kind of pushes and elbows and jostles people out of the way and maneuvers himself to a ringside seat to watch the procession go by. Now I want you to use your sanctified imagination. And I want you by an eye of faith to, to look back to that scene in Jerusalem. I want you to see those three condemned prisoners as they're making their way out of the city toward the hill of Calvary. All of them bearing the cross on their shoulder. Simon's watching and they're so close, he can almost reach out and touch them with his hand. And those two revolutionists in front, they're marching steadily forward. The one that's following along behind, he's lagging behind a little. But you see those two revolutionists. Their lithe bodies, sinewy, Hard, strong as steel. Faces that are tanned and bold and jaws that are firmly set. The crowd insults them and they exchange insult for insult with that crowd lining the streets. They fought like men. And they're determined they're going to die like men. But that third prisoner, he's vastly different. His face is not hard. His jaw is not firmly set. It's a face that's full of an infinite pity, mingled with immeasurable sorrow and pain. And even though he's a man of fine physique, he's not quite up to carrying that cross. He's endured a terrific beating the night before. And because of the beating he's endured and the blood he's lost, he just can't handle it. And as Simon looks on, that third prisoner stumbles and he staggers and he falls to the ground, the cross on his shoulder crushing him. Simon satisfied his curiosity now. He's ready to just kind of slink back and get lost in the crowd and go on his merry way. But just as Simon's about to walk away, a heavy hand grabs his shoulder. And a strong and a harsh and authoritative voice startles him. And the voice says, you there, make yourself useful. Take up that man's cross and get going with it. Simon can't believe what he's hearing. Surely that Roman soldier is not talking to him. But as he starts to turn away, that hand looses his shoulder and reaches quickly for the sword at his side. And Simon sees he doesn't have a choice. He's got to obey. So he takes up the hated cross of Jesus and turns his steps toward Calvary. That gives us some background for our text this morning in Luke chapter 24, or 23, verses 33 and 34. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him, the malefactors one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then said Jesus, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Can you imagine that? A man who's collapsed on his way to Calvary under the weight of his cross, hanging there and loving enough that he says to those that put him there, or says of those that put him there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. If any passage in the Bible shows us the supremacy of the love of Jesus Christ, it's that passage. Because in the death of Jesus on that cross for the sins of the world, but not the world in abstract, but let's internalize it and personalize it. In the death of Jesus on that cross for my sin, for your sin, we see love to the endless limit. That's what the golden text of the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. What is love? Like a lot of things, Love is hard to define, even harder to explain. Sometimes it's hard to define love, but you know it when you see it. Kind of like you've been in a store shopping and one of the clerks comes up and says, could I help you find something? No, when I find what I'm looking for, I'll know it. Well, that's kind of the way love is. We can't just write down and say, well, this is love. But when we see love, we know it. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul has a lot to say about love there. Paul says that love suffers long and that love is kind. He tells us love is not envious, that love is not puffed up and proud and arrogant, and love doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't misbehave. He also tells us some other things about love. He says that love doesn't keep score. That love is not easily provoked. That love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It just rejoices in truth. That love has the ingredients of patience and kindness and generosity Humility and courtesy, unselfishness, a good temper and sincerity. Love has all of those things. Well, folks, Jesus was the essence of all of that and more. And hanging on a cross on Calvary's hill, Jesus' death there is the greatest expression of love the world has ever known. As Jesus hangs there on the cross and as He dies, Jesus doesn't speak of love in platitudes. What Jesus does is Jesus eloquently demonstrates love. He's hanging there and He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The love of Jesus Christ is so deep it cannot be fathomed. 
It's so broad that it cannot be measured. It's so meaningful it cannot be described. And it's so intense that it cannot be supplemented. You see, love is a very revealing quality. The death of Jesus on the cross that day reveals the love of God to the world. God has revealed Himself to humanity in many ways. He's revealed Himself to humanity through the world and the marvelous creation that we have. God has revealed Himself to humanity through His Word that we have in the Bible. But God finally and fully reveals Himself. And He reveals Himself supremely through the death of His Son on Calvary. Through the demonstration on Calvary of the love of God, God crushed the serpent's head. He sullied forever the power of Satan. And He gave victory over death and hell to everyone that's willing to obey His will and live His kind of life. You see, the love of God reveals to us what sin is really like and what it really is. Over the years, Folks have tried to speak of and demonstrate and describe and picture the blackness, the bitterness, the horrible nature of that monster we call sin. And nobody's ever been able to do that. But when you see Jesus on that cross, that reveals sin in all of its sinfulness. Because it's on that cross that the innocent died for the guilty. It's on that cross that love suffered its deepest agony so sin could be vanquished. Isaiah says it beautifully. He was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus was bruised. He was battered. He was beaten. He was stabbed. The agony of death gripped him. Clammy sweat stood on his brow. His tongue was cleaving to the roof of his mouth. He writhed in agony. And all of that reveals for us just how horrible sin is. But... If the death of Jesus reveals sin for what it is, it also reveals the plan of salvation. Because God gave His Son as a ransom for the world. People yet unborn, me, you, would have wandered around aimlessly and hopelessly doomed. The world was without God, without Christ, and without hope. And Jesus came and brought that hope. He bore our grief and He carried our sorrows. 
And on Jesus Christ was laid the iniquity of every one of us. Didn't Jesus Himself say, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, when we look back to Calvary, and we see the cross of Christ, we see love as it suffers. Jesus' suffering there was intense. It was agonizing. And it was fearful. They drove nails through His hands. They drove a spike through His feet. And He's hanging there. And what happened? While he's hanging there, multitudes are coming by and they're reviling him. They're making fun of him. They're speaking to him sarcastically. Oh, he saved others. He can't save himself. If you're the Son of God, take care of this. The disciples, the friends, frightened and scared, they ran away. They left him. And what do we hear from Jesus? We don't hear a murmur. We don't hear a complaint. We don't hear an unkind word. What we hear from the lips of Jesus is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus became a man. He suffered as a man. He felt pain as a man and He died as a man. He came from glory to save humanity. God chose His Son, His only Son, to become a man and die. He gave up heaven with its jasper walls, its pearly gates, and its golden streets for the dust of this earth that you and I live on. He was misunderstood. He was scorned. He was mistreated and died as a felon. Think of all that. Think of the boundless humiliation that Jesus suffered. He was despised and rejected of men. He was stripped of His garments he was blindfolded. He was beaten with fists. And he died like a common criminal. And in the middle of all of that, he asked God to forgive the ones that did it to him. His royal robes were exchanged for a shroud. The only crown he had was a crown of thorns. His kingdom shrank to the narrow dimensions of a grave. The only throne He had was a rough-hewn wooden cross. The only scepter in His hand was a weed. All of that. Do you have the picture? Do you see it? All of that was because of me. And because of you. Because of our sin. But it is the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus that 
hung Him there that lifts us up. Jesus said in John 3, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto Myself. There is power in the lift of Jesus Christ. There's a power in the love of Jesus and the lift of Jesus that fills the darkest night of our lives with stars of hope. The loving arms of Jesus reach out to all the lost of every nation everywhere of all time. Instead of our going down into an eternal ruin and perishing there, God's love lifts us up. God's love lifts us up from the mire of sin. We sing the song, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. Love lifted me. That's what God's love does. God's love is an appeal to our hearts. We can feel it tug and we can feel it pull at our heartstrings as though it was something alive. Because God's love reaches down into the mire of sin. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to save the worst man or woman that's ever lived. I read of a man that was a drunkard. And in the story that I read, he was on his way to prison because he had made wildcat liquor. There was a gospel meeting going on. And he attended the services the very last night. His wife and his children had attended every service. He learned there of God's goodness. And he learned of God's love. And he obeyed the Lord and repented of his sins. And after he confessed, Christ was baptized. He went to prison. Served his sentence a few years. Remained faithful to the Lord. Came back to his community and came back home. Was faithful to the Lord. Served the Lord's church in that community as an elder. And was an example to everyone that he came in contact with. The love of God and the gospel of Christ in time can work wonders in our lives. Love is the most powerful thing in the world. You see, they took Jesus and they drove those nails through His hands. And they drove a spike through His feet. But it wasn't the nails. And it wasn't the spike that held Jesus to the cross. It was love. It was the love that He had for me and for you 
that kept him there. It wasn't the nails. It was love. That love needs to reach down this morning and grab hold of our hearts. That love held Jesus to the cross. That love lifts us out of sin and despair. That's the love that brings the prodigal home to remember the goodness and love of the Father. That's the love of God. The love that held Jesus to the cross that reaches out to us and says, I loved you. Love me back. It's His invitation as we stand.